to Rewind of the Living Dead. I'm Damon Martin. And I'm Patrick Guerra. And Patrick, we're doing a little special show this week because we are going to be reviewing a film, a film that actually just dropped on Shudder recently called Consecration. But we're also going to talk about, I guess, what is the Oscars of our industry? The Fangoria mm-hmm. Chainsaw Awards went down a matter of hours ago, and we want to talk about those awards. We actually did a, a special full episode about the Fangoria Awards a couple of years ago, but this is kind of the, uh, the Oscars of our industry, so we decided to spend some time tonight talking about those awards before we get into Consecration a little later. So, Patrick, uh, I think this is the third year we've been around for the Chainsaw Chainsaw Awards, the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. Um, thoughts, immediate thoughts, uh, impressions. What were your uh, What were your <laughs> impressions of the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards for 2023? You know what? It's it's the same it's been for the last three years, which is like I'm so pumped that we have awards for our genre. I, you know, Fangoria puts on a great little show to just recognize the horror genre itself, because let's, let's be honest, Damon, you know, the horror genre basically gets, gets pushed out of your typical awards season. We, we don't, we don't get nominated. It's very rare situations where horror films get nominated uh, for Oscars, even when they probably deserve it, to be honest with you. I mean, we had some killer, killer movies in 2022. Go back and listen to our best of 2022 episode. If you haven't listened to that, because I think that's one of the best years of horror on record. I really do. I really think some of the best ever horror films came out in 2022. So it's great that there was a place for them like that. And that's how I feel about it every year. There's a place for the stuff that you and I get up for every single day. So it's cool to see that. That's basically where I'm at. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I think the first year we talked about the Chainsaw Awards, it was still during the pandemic. And I think most of it took place on Zoom, if I if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, whereas as they've slowly kind of edged back to having a live show, you know, people in person to to present the awards, which is cool. Um, it's just nice. I think I think it's, I think I'm grateful. Uh, that's how I really feel about the uh, Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. You know, I, uh, I listen, I grew up on Fangoria. I'm rocking my Fangoria T-shirt right now in celebration of the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. I love Fangoria. I grew up on Fangoria. Um, still love still read Fangoria to this day. Um, so I am super appreciative that Fangoria, you know, does honor the horror film industry and really brings out the best and the brightest and kind of shines a light on the best and the brightest in this industry. And the categories by and large are really creative and really fun, you know, doing a, you know, best wide release movie, best, you know, kind of indie movie or, or, you know, streaming movie, all these different categories, um, best performance and not necessarily, you know, whittling it down to actor and actress, those kind of things. I do enjoy the categories. So I'm, I'm glad Fangoria does this and I'm, I'm super proud that they do. And I'm, I'm happy to talk about them year to year. I will say this though, um, as you mentioned earlier, about you know some of the performances and some of the, the the horror films we've seen in this last you know year it does i mean for i listen i'll just be honest it pisses me off that award shows you know don't pick up and honor some of the great performances and films in horror uh more than they do. I mean, yes, we do get the rare occasion where Jordan Peele will come out with an incredible film like Get Out, and that will get honored and that will get nominated. Um, 
But I mean, you know, this is, and listen, I'm a huge comic book fan. I have the freaking Infinity Gauntlet tattooed on me. So, of course, I'm a huge comic book fan. But, like, we've even crossed the boundary where, you know, Angela Bassett's getting nominated for, you know, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress for her performance in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And rightfully so, by the way. It was a brilliant performance. But, like, it seems more regular now, yet it still seems irregular. Oh, yeah. two, two guys have won Oscars for playing the Joker. Yeah. So, like, horror films are still not there. I mean, they're just they just don't and what's crazy to me and this is kind of where i'm getting to my point here patrick is like and i listen i understand i've i've lost interest widely in the oscars in recent years we've had this conversation off air that they've just gone so niche with the films they select that it just feels like they're not even bothering with like the films that people tend to actually go see, <laughs> you know, like not, I'm not saying every film needs every film nominated needs to be a blockbuster, but I'm saying like they just, they've just completely gone so deep down the rabbit hole in terms of what films they're picking that it seems like hardly anyone's actually gone to see these films. Now, like 2023, I'll be legitimately the film that just debuted at the Cannes film festival. Like I think killers of the flower moon, the new Martin Scorsese film. I've read the book, the film's coming out in October. I think that's going to be a big, big, you know, Oscar film in 2024. And I will be right there at the front seat rooting for it, assuming it's as good as everyone says it is. I've read the book. I can't wait. But generally speaking, they're just so niche. Whereas, and, and what I'm getting at here, Patrick, is the horror film industry has basically been comic book films in the horror film industry that's really saved the box office since the pandemic has come back. That's where films like The Black Phone, which got nominated, or even A Terrifier, which was a super, super indie, I mean, really indie film, can make over a million dollars at the box office, which there's big box office. There's big, there's big, there's big, big studio money spent films that don't do that. So it does bother me that as much as I appreciate the Fangoria Awards, and I do, and I'm, I'm glad that we have our own awards, it bums me out that let's say Mia Goth, who is my best performance in 2023, who one tonight for best performance and again rightfully so she was incredible in pearl um that she doesn't even get considered in the bigger awards and that 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 yeah. pisses me off yeah i mean uh, just to backtrack and side sidetrack for a second award shows feel less and less connected to the general public because streaming has changed the landscape yeah those movies that get nominated would have been Something you go see on a Friday night, someone would talk about it and blah, 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 blah. That's changed. Things go to streamer now uh, and you either see it or you don't or you miss it. You know, it's there for you to see if you want to see it. Streaming has changed all of that. And and that's why the awards look weirder than they used to. Now, they, they're I think they're almost like forcing their hand to now start nominating comic book films, to start nominating things that are a little more genre to get people to watch the award ceremony. It doesn't necessarily mean that comic book movies are at the level of what I would consider Oscar worthy. Some are, some aren't. Um, but that said, last year, the highest grossing thing at the box office was Smile that was original, that was original IP. Everything else was like, you know, if it was if it grossed super high numbers, it's existing IP. Smile was the, the highest grossing original idea out there last year, made $200 million at the box office. I'm, I have a sneaking suspicion that at some point down the line, we're going to start seeing horror films get nominated because they are things people are going to go see. And now the money is there and then, but you can't, it's undeniable that that's what people are going to go see. So maybe we will get that. We've got some very talented filmmakers. We'll probably talk about a few of them here tonight. Um, 
so, because there are really talented filmmakers working in the horror space. They're going to make great things. Um, I'm still upset. Tony Collette hasn't been nominated for goddamn hereditary. Like <laughs> let it be available every year for Tony Collette to be nominated for that movie until she's nominated and she wins the goddamn award. It's one of the best things I've, it's one of the best performances I've ever seen in a horror movie or a regular movie. It's a great movie and it's a great performance. And so, uh, in the meantime, Damon, we're going to have the Fangoria awards and that's great. Maybe it's kind of nice that we aren't part of that club because Fangoria chainsaw awards is like for us in particular, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, cool. We have something that's all our own. Um, so, you know, maybe I better be careful what I wish for, but at the end of the day, it's cool that we do get this award ceremony. It's cool that these filmmakers do get recognition. It was awesome. Like seeing, uh, was, I think his name is Dan Trachenberg, the director of prey. Like he showed up for his award and accepted it at the Fangoria awards. Because guess what? He made a great, great movie last year in prey that people should have seen that it should have been on big screen. We talked about this when we talked about prey, it should have been seen in theaters. It should have made $200 million at the box office, but because it went straight to streaming, it basically got lost, but Fangoria said, Hey, Trashenberg and company, we see you. And we think, we think what you did is great. And the fans spoke up. It's a, a, that's something we should mention. If people don't know, uh, the chainsaw awards are fan voted on. So that's, yeah, that's as de- democrat democratized as it gets. So I don't know, uh, you know, ranting on award ceremonies and, and recognition in Hollywood aside, it's cool that we got a night like the, the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. Yeah. Let's talk about the two biggest awards of the night, which were the best wide release movie um, and the uh, the best, uh, or I guess we'll, we'll go three for three. Best wide release movie, there is the best limited release movie, and then the best streaming premiere movie. And the winners in those three categories, best wide release movie was The Black Phone, which of course we did review on the show. I think we reviewed all these films on the show. Um, and then of course, uh, the best limited release movie was Terror fire Two, no shock there and then best streaming premiere was prey um, i went through the lists and everything i think the only film out of these 15 films that got nominated that i hadn't seen was something in the dirt um i had not seen right. something in the dirt um and other than that i think i've seen all of these we actually there is a lost episode out there where we did really we did review hellbender which was a, uh, a best streaming uh, premiere movie we haven't actually released that one because afterwards patrick and i were so depressed we're kind of like yeah i don't know if we should release this one um <laughs> If you can tell, that probably wouldn't have won awards here on uh, Rwanda Living Dead. Um, But yeah, those are the big winners. The Black Phone, Terrifier 2, and Prey. Um, Honestly, those three films, you know what? I got no problem with any of those. I mean, we gave positive reviews to every single one of those films. We both love Prey. It was the best Predator film, I think, since the first Predator film. Uh, Terrifier 2 was in my top five last year, and it was in both of our best kill, best gore for 2023. That's, of course, also got best kill at the Fangoria Awards, and, of course, the Black Phone. I'll be honest, we're going to get into some of our kind of surprises and and upsets and things like that in a minute, but I'll be honest, like, the Black Phone won a lot of awards tonight, and I'm not surprised necessarily because it was a really good film, but we do, we all, we're all guilty of this, Patrick. We're all guilty of being kind of prisoners of the moment. And it felt like that film came out like forever ago. I know it didn't come out forever ago, but it felt like a really long time ago. And so I was like, wow, I'm actually impressed that like people actually remembered and voted for that because we're, and again, (laughs) when you talk about like fan voted awards, we all I'm guilty of that. Like I I'm prisoner of the moment of what I just recently saw and if I really really like something, 
I'll tend to lean that way versus something I saw nine months ago. That's just human nature. So I was kind of impressed that the black phone did as well as it did, especially going up against films like Barbarian, which was a very viral film, um, you know, when it yeah. came out. Um, of course, Nope, which is a massive film. Jordan Peele won for Best Director. Uh, he did give an acceptance speech, uh, which was interesting. So, yeah, thoughts on the three big winners? I mean, any any shocks, any surprises there? No surprises. I mean, I, I'm less a prisoner of the moment because I keep a, a detailed list of the movies I watch. Um, I, I know you don't do that yet, right? I don't. I mean, I keep a list. Yeah. I, I do keep a list of movies I watch, but I don't keep like a I don't I don't typically keep like a rating of those. I just kind of remember yeah. when the year is over. So I keep the list. And so when when the Fangoria Awards um, uh, voting sheet came out, it was easy for me to cross reference and see. Uh, how I felt about those movies. Uh, I liked Black Phone. It didn't get like a little star. I put little stars next to the ones that I absolutely love. Um, but I still thought it was a great movie. It, just because it didn't get the star doesn't mean I didn't like it. It, it was not a surprise for me. Um, and, and it was it was nice to kind of look back on the year and go, yep, I'm glad to see all these uh, all these um, uh, these films that I appreciated listed here with Fangoria. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, with Terrifier 2, no surprise. I think it was the breakout hit of 2022 in terms of uh, smaller releases. I think I think it's you know it, it's it's become like the new little engine that could for our for our industry for for our community. Uh, so Terrifier two getting best limited release is great. And Prey, I said it, I, I tweeted it out earlier in the night. It was just simply justice. It was justice because Prey should have been out in the theaters. Yeah. It should it should have been seen by seen by hundreds of millions of people in the theater, and it wasn't. And so for me, it was like it was a little bit of just like fuck yeah, man, because that movie, it should have been a blockbuster right alongside like Fast and the Furious, right alongside Jurassic World and all that shit. It, it deserved to be in the theaters, and it it didn't. It got screwed over because of some backroom corporate deals. Uh, you're hearing a lot about that in the news lately. This is why writers are striking right now because streamers and, and movie studios are pulling this shit and actually taking money out of the pockets of creative people. I, I, I'm going to get on my soapbox about it, Damon, because it pisses me off. Dan Trachenberg, uh, Amber Midthunder, and that whole crew killed it. They did, and they got a lot of awards uh, for VFX and for um, creature design, I think. And and then, uh, of course, uh, best uh, best release um, on streaming. So I I'm just happy. I'm happy to see that it got its due. It really, really deserved it. Get on that soapbox, my friend. As a member of the WGA myself, the Writers Guild of America, I'm in the union. Uh, keep going, buddy. Keep going on that soapbox. I like hearing it. Uh, I'm with yeah. you 100%. We didn't, we didn't really plan for this. We are going to do a couple of categories with the uh, Fangoria Awards. We're going to do biggest upset and kind of like our smallest surprise, not to spoil in there, but we're going to get into there. Uh, but I, I do, like, I do, this is unplanned, so I'm kind of just springing this on you right now. Um, out of the three major categories, best wide release, best limited release and best streaming premiere movie let's because again i know we did our best of 2023 but it was five months ago so a little time to revisit these and also we didn't have a lot of these were not in our top five or top 10 for the year so uh i'm kind of curious we go from top to bottom we go best streaming premiere the, the the uh the nominees were fresh hellbender hellraiser prey and a wounded fawn now i have seen all those movies so i'm in a unique and, and you're in it we're both in a unique position where we have seen it so of those five i assume would you have gone with prey of those uh, just in your own personal opinion i definitely voted prey 
I yeah. did. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I, I just, again, I got on my soapbox about it. I was like, yeah, Prey was, Prey was the best streamer of the year. Yeah, I loved Prey. I, I really, really did enjoy it. But, you know, it's no giant secret. I would have gone for Fresh. That was my favorite film of 2023. Um, favorite film. It wasn't just favorite horror film. It was my favorite film of 2020 yeah. i just absolutely love the creativity behind that movie the performances uh sebastian stan daisy edgar jones it was just so brilliant so unique and so different uh, i just loved that one but make no mistake i adored prey i mean i you know i showered it with praise when we did our review on this show now i will say a wounded fawn started out kind of strong it ended really weird i love josh <laughs> rubin um it's been well documented on this show I'm a big josh rubin fan that that film started strong and ended very weird um um, Hellraiser, we reviewed on here. That was a, more of a miss than a hit for me, Patrick, if I'm being honest. And then uh, yeah. Hellbender, don't really need to say a lot about that one. Um, not shocked it didn't win. The lost, episode, <laughs> the lost episode will come out and one day, and you will see why we're, we're not shocked that it didn't, it didn't win. Yeah. Now, best limited release, it was Orphan First Kill, which was kind of a surprise that was in that list, honestly. Uh, Resurrection, which is a movie reviewed on the show. Something in the Dirt, which is, again, being honest, it's one I have not seen. Um, Terror fire 2 and mad god and i did watch mad god phil tippett uh famous vfx guy did his own film on there and i did watch that on uh shutter it's currently available on shutter um terrifier 2 1 and for me personally but i know i i know where you're gonna go so i'm just gonna go ahead and go first um i would have gone with terrifier 2 i really did enjoy that film and, and again it was you know no shock that it cleaned up it was kind of the the little indie that could of last year it really made waves and in, in a way that uh, a film of that type hasn't really done i mean not say it hasn't done in recent you know recent years a lot of indie horror films tend to get like buzz and start building momentum but this one really was the little indie that could because it had no major backing i mean it didn't have any big studio that picked it up and said let's go show off arthur clown dismembering people and that's going to be our big horror <laughs> hit of the year it just it just continued to get word of mouth and people vomiting in theaters and running out in disgust uh to get people to go see it and so yeah i i really enjoyed terrifier too so of those of those five uh terrifier two one what would have been your pick what was the list again terrifier or, two uh, orphan first kill resurrection mm -hmm. something in the dirt terrifier two and mad god okay yeah so i would have gone resurrection and i probably voted resurrection it's been a while i voted right when the the ballots came out um not that i don't love terrifier two i actually thought terrifier two was great i just fucking love resurrection when it popped up on the in the award ceremony i was like oh fuck that movie that was fucking awesome last year oh yeah you know it's just it's just a really good movie rebecca hall um sort of like an adopted scream queen for us for the horror people um she's just come out with that in the nighthouse two of like super 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 strong uh horror films in the last couple of years and uh, she did not disappoint in resurrection it was a great great movie i really really liked it and i actually love terrifier 2 uh, just as much i my one complaint with terrifier 2 is it was over long it just was it didn't need to be two and a half hours I think I think I would have been happy with if they were just strung together all those kills and just put that together. However long that would have ran 45 to 90 minutes. I don't know how long it was. Um, it was the movie was a little long, but I liked everything about Terrifier 2. I'm not mad at all about that uh, winning its award. Yeah. Now, best wide release movie, the category or excuse me, the nominees were Barbarian, The Black Phone, Nope. 
Pearl and X. And of those five films, just based upon my own top five of 2023, which all those films I enjoyed, to be honest. Like, there's not one in there that I didn't. I know you were not the biggest fan of Barbarian, but I really did enjoy Barbarian. I love the creativity and the originality behind that film. Um, I would say of those five, like, Nope would be a little lower because I did enjoy Nope. Nope's probably my favorite Jordan Peele film. I mean, he only has three. Uh, my favorite one since Get Out. Uh, I liked it better than Us. Uh, but again, it's it, it really does kind of teeter the line between science fiction and horror, so I probably would have ranked that a little lower. For me, X would have probably been my pick. I loved X. I really thought it was just such a great, fun throwback slasher. Felt very genuine to the slasher genre. Felt very, you know, obviously very influenced by Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is a film you and I absolutely adore. But I will say, um, we were we were kind of we were kind of mediocre towards Pearl when we did our review of it. We, we didn't dislike it. We didn't love it. We just kind of said it was there. And in a way it almost felt unnecessary to the story of X. Like it just kind of felt like, I don't know, it just didn't, it didn't blow us away. It blew a lot of people away. To be honest, it really blew a lot yeah. of people. You and I were kind of like, eh, like we liked it. We didn't love it. We were just kind of like very middle. It was very like vanilla yogurt. You know, it was just like, it was there. I got to say this. This is totally impromptu. I'm doing this. I actually rewatched Pearl the other night. It's on, it's on streaming now. It's on, I think showtime and I caught it right at the beginning. And I was like, I haven't watched it since I was, since I saw it in the theater. So I was like, oh, let's, you know, it's on, let's watch. And I, I gotta be honest. I liked it more this time. Like, I'm not saying it would have been like, you know, number one or anything or even top five, but I liked it a lot better the second time around. Like, I don't know, maybe it was just, living in that world a little longer or, or again, you know, if there is a downside to doing immediate reviews, it's that you don't have as much time to, to sit with a film or see it multiple times. Cause like I said, if we, this is completely not horror related, but if we would have done a review, you know, 20 years ago or however long it came out ago that we did the big Lebowski, the, the Coen brothers movie, if we would have done a film of that first time I saw it, I would say, I hated this. This was not funny at all. I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand why people love this film. It's stupid. It didn't get it. Now, it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. I quote The Big Lebowski probably at least once a week. Without fail, I do something from that movie. And I absolutely adore that movie. I love it. But I had to see it three or four times to finally get it. And now I've seen it, you know, whatever, a hundred times. I have no idea. But I love that film. But the first time I saw it, I was like, I don't get it. I don't get why people like this film. It was kind of stupid to me. So sometimes you have to live in the film. Sometimes you have to see it multiple times to really appreciate it. And I got to be honest, I learned to appreciate Pearl more on the second viewing than I did on the first viewing. But of those five films, Patrick, Barbarian, The Black Phone, Note, Pearl, and X, and The Black Phone, of course, won at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, which of those five would be your pick? Well, I think it's actually, it's a pretty tough, it's it's a tough call I, I, because I like them all outside of Barbarian. It wouldn't have been on my list and you can listen to our podcast on it. I won't waste time for that here. Um, but the rest of them, like X, great slasher, really good. I, check that review out from us because I think we sung its praises. I think it does everything. It's my favorite Ty West film, hands down. Pearl, you're right about Pearl we weren't like super kind to Pearl. We also just, we didn't slam it either. We were just like, Oh, okay. Like there it is. Um, but it's a movie that stayed with me and I kept thinking about it over and over and over again. I think it's a really brilliantly crafted film. Um, 
And and that always gets to me. And and then I think about how how I think about its ending, which I loved. I really loved the ending of Pearl. And I also think about the fact that it scared the shit out of Martin Scorsese and he couldn't sleep that night. <laughs> I love that. I I just love that he was he was just shivering in his PJs because he was like, God damn, that Pearl movie fucked me up. Like <laughs> I love that. I just I love that about, about Pearl. Um, but I think I would have ultimately gone with Nope. And the reason is is A, I saw it twice in the theater. B, I do think now, uh, having seen all of Jordan Peele's films, I do think it's his best film. I think Get Out's his most original idea. But in terms of execution and in terms of just, I, I think, grand vision, he did something with Nope Extra Special. I saw it a lot on HBO when it, when it came out on HBO as well. And I'm realizing it's a very, very, very high quality film. So that would have been my pick. And I'm pretty sure that was my vote anyway. Um, amongst a, a whole slew of those films. Black Phone was good too. But to me, Nope definitely was the best wide release last year. Yeah. So let's get into Biggest Upset because I'll be honest, for the most part, the awards played out kind of how I saw them. We, we were texting during the event, and I know you said your picks were pretty much dead on with what you thought were going to win. Not necessarily what we voted for, but what we you know what yes. we believed would win. Um, so what was the biggest upset? Was there one that kind of stood out to you? Uh, and I do want to mention, by the way, real quick, I just want to throw this out there. They, they threw out something new this year called the Editor's Eyeball Award, which went a little long in terms of the execution on the show, but I will give credit because those were the editor's awards. Like the editors from Fangoria awarded some special people in film that didn't necessarily get, you know, they weren't like, it was going to be hard for a, a person starring in a little, you know, in an indie film to, to compete with Mia Goth, who kind of became the, you know, the scream queen of 2023 or 2022, however you want to say it. Um, so I liked that they did that, and of course, they, one of the awards they gave was to Lauren Levera, who played Sierra in Terrifier 2. Great performance, loved her, adored that movie, and I did appreciate that they kind of it was almost like the uh, you know it was almost like the what do they call it like the uh, the the critic or what do they call it, the uh, lifetime achievement award at the at the right. Oscars. Not quite of that, you know, not lifetime achievement, but I liked that they did let the editors of the magazine give out a couple of the awards and say, look, we do want to honor these people. They just it would have been hard to put her against like again just because everyone like i know like daniel kalua was was nominated kiki palmer were nominated from nope that was a huge massive movie a lot more yeah. people saw that than saw terror biggest terrifier 2 was in our industry patrick a lot more people saw nope so it'd be hard oh, yeah. to, you know to imagine that you know lauren levera would get more votes than than them or even mia goth who ultimately won that particular award for best performance in a horror film um but i did appreciate that they went to the editor's award and did give out a couple of those the, the lead the lead kid in uh the black phone who is now apparently 35 um which that freaked me out by the way that one like threw me way off i care the kid who played the, the kid who played finney in the black phone comes out and i'm like oh my god he's like a 30 year old now uh how he's long ago, how long ago did they make this freaking movie uh but that like i like that they gave out a couple of those awards that were just like we want to honor some people who you know who deserved to be honored I, I enjoyed that but what was your was there a big upset for you this year patrick out of everything Oh, there definitely was. And, and just to just to piggyback off of your best editor or your editor's eyeball awards, it is smart to do that because like in film festivals, there's two different styles of awards. There's jury awards and then there's audience choice. And so this whole show is audience choice. So it was cool to see that they kind of had a jury of their editors to, to, to and you're right to like kind of showcase some people, which I thought was a, a great idea because 
it can be a popularity contest, especially when it's just audience choice because they can people can campaign, they can hit up their friends, they can start little social media campaigns to kind of drum up votes for themselves. And then you're right. If I'm going up against Daniel Kaluuya in anything in the world, Damon, the odds are good that I'm going to lose. So it's kind of it's kind of nice that they did that. But my biggest upset, believe it or not, has to do with Barbarian. I cannot believe that Justin Long did not win uh, for best, uh, I think it was supporting performance. Yeah. It blew my mind because, you know, uh, uh, Barbarian did have like, you know, I, I wouldn't even call it polarizing. I would say it was like a 70, 30 or 60, 40 split in terms of people who liked it and people who weren't into it. It was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't super, super polarizing, but everybody agreed that Justin Long absolutely stole the show that he, and he was, he, and you, you can hear me talk about it in our review. He was he was the best thing about the movie. Even if you like the movie, I think you know that he was absolutely the best thing about that movie. And it did shock me that he did not get the award. Yeah, that was that would surprise me as well, especially considering, you know, how good he was in that film. And by the way, the one who won was Madeline McGraw for the black phone. She played the sister in the black phone. And that one, I'm not going to sit here and, and piggyback necessarily directly on that. I do want to go to a different award. So we talk about a couple different ones in terms of upsets. But that one to me was and also I have another upset, by the way, yeah, which go ahead. That one was. But you said you said Justin Long. I would also say like it was a bit of a surprise that Jenna Ortega you know, didn't get it because she was yeah. very beloved for Scream. I mean, she did really, really well. That was a big one. That's another one I thought could have easily slipped in there and gotten an award. Um, Ethan Hawke for the Black Phone, like absolutely. Madeline, yeah. Madeline McGraw killed it. Make no bone, no make no mistake about it. So I want to make sure I say that. But like Ethan Hawke was really creepy and really, really good in that movie as far as the Black Phone goes. And also Stephen Young, I thought he was brilliant in, in yeah, Nope. And so. Great. That, that is one of the ones that really surprised me as well. And again, it's not that Madeline McGraw wasn't great. She was. We always talk all the time, Patrick, about how child performances can really make or break a good horror movie. She killed it. And I hope she goes on to have an incredible career. Again, I just think stacked up against Justin Long, Ethan Hawke, um, Jenna Ortega, Stephen Young. I was like, man, that's an uphill battle to be fighting. And she pulled it off. So I don't know. I don't know if it was. And by the way, I'm not knocking her winning, by the way. Again, she was incredible. But like you wonder, like there were so many good people. You wonder if it was just like hard for people to pick because um, I would have loved to see the numbers. Yeah, like I like I can't I can't imagine this is one of the ones where the winner got like fifty percent of the vote. You know what I mean? Like this is going. This was right. probably one of the ones where the winner got like twenty percent because everything was so scattered uh, because the performances were so good across the board um, in that one. For me, you know, I'll be honest. Like best upset again. This is this is a it's a weird one to say this when I, when I say it and I'm going back to the black phone because the black phone pulled off a lot of awards and I was a little surprised again, going back to the whole prisoner of the moment thing. And then again, because of so many quality horror films this year. And again, it wasn't that the black phone wasn't good. I loved it. I really enjoyed that film, but I just thought knowing the horror community as I feel like I do, I felt like a, a more hardcore or a little, you know, different received film would have won. So I was actually kind of surprised at one best screenplay. Now that's not to say it wasn't great. It was an incredible screenplay, of course, adapted from a story from, uh, um, 
uh, Joe Hill, who is Stephen King's son, yeah. of course. Um, and it was uh, Robert Car- Cargill and Scott Derrickson who did it. But that was also going up against Zach Kreger for Barbarian, Mia Goth and Ty West for Pearl, Jordan Peele for Nope, and then Seth Rice and Will Tracy for The Menu, which is a film you and I absolutely adored. Um, I would have, I would just in terms of writing, in terms mm-hmm. of the dialogue and the script, The Menu is one of the best written scripts of this year. Without, I mean, yeah. across the board, not horror. I'm just talking films in general it was so well written so i was a little surprised that the black phone won best screenplay not surprised that it won a lot of awards just surprised that it won that particular award yeah i you know it's again it's hard to say when it's audience choice you never know like how people are leaning or what campaign or by the way i'm sure that c robert cargill wasn't necessarily campaigning I just bet he's got tons of fans and tons of, and there's tons of Joe Hill fans out there. Like there's people that can do their own kind of grassroots campaigning to get this stuff out there. Again, it sounds like we're knocking black phone. We're not. It just, I am surprised because in just terms of like pure writing, I think the script of the menu is genius. I mean, it, it just, it comes out of nowhere and hits you. Uh, it blindsides you. It's a really, really killer, very sharp script. Yeah. Really, really well done. So that's mine. You said you had another one for upset. I have one crazy upset here, Damon. Call me crazy. I think I might know why this happened, though. Where the hell was Smile in any of the nominations? So I don't know. Zero nominations. Zero. Is there was I don't know. I don't know what the timing of these awards were. That's my only question. Smile was, this, was a 2022 film. So these are all 2022. There was nothing not in 2022. Okay. That's that. Basically yeah. everything that was on our best of list for the podcast was also eligible to be on the Fangoria Awards. And Smile was my number one film of last year. Yeah. That one surprised me, especially for how big that film was. I mean, it was bigger than most of these films. You know what I mean? It was one of I, the big. I do have a theory. I saw a Paramount Plus commercial in the middle of Fangoria Awards, which, by the way, Fangoria Awards had no commercials. It seemed to be the only commercial they had. Yeah. Smile as a Paramount film. Maybe they decided that there was a conflict of interest because I'm sure Paramount Plus probably gave them a little bit of money to to put this on. You know, these things don't happen for free. Those awards aren't made for free. The trophy. So, you know, if Paramount Plus gave them a little bit of a budget, they probably thought, you know, it's not fair for us to have a movie in your in your award show if we're sponsoring your award show. Maybe that's what happened. But the fact that not there was not a nomination at all in any category at all. Like, how about best first film? What, I mean, really? The, Parker Finn doesn't get a nomination for yeah. best for directing his, his first film being Smile? I mean, you don't even have to like the movie to know it looks amazing and it's a great and really well put together in terms of just craftsmanship. So that's my other biggest upset. But I have a feeling it might have something to do with the fact that the only commercial happens to be for the studio that uh, paid for the award show. Yeah, maybe that's why, like, when you look at Best First Feature, it was Blood Relative, Deadstream, The Sadness, Watcher, and We're All Going to the World's Fair. And um, The Sadness and the wa- and Watcher were two films we talked about on here. I absolutely adored uh, Watcher. That was an incredible film. And The Sadness was also very, very hard to watch, very hard to stomach, uh, but also a very, very good film. So that one, none of those surprised me. Um, yeah, but again, the fact that Smile wasn't in there also shocks me. And I'll be honest, for Best Wide Release, and this isn't, like I said, the five films that got nominated were all really good. Barbarian, The Black Phone, Note, Pearl, and X. I'm completely okay with all those. But the fact that Smile didn't even get in that top five, 
surprisingly, I feel like Pearl or X, one of those could have been knocked out. Now, I'm not saying I would vote for one or the other. Again, X was, I think, my number two horror film of 2022. I mean, it was one of my favorite films yeah. last year. Fresh was the only thing ahead of it. Um, but it's, yeah, it does kind of surprise me, but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's what, maybe that's really what it was. I don't know. It's a weird one. It's very odd that that didn't get any nominations. Um, yeah, just to get nothing is, is weird. Yeah. What about smallest surprise, the film that we expected to rack up awards that did. I know my answer to this one. I think it's pretty clear to everybody, which is terrifier too. Um, that's my answer too. Yeah, I, I, I mean, think it's the smallest surprise. Yeah. It's uh way to go i mean listen you know damien leon and and the crew over there they 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 were the little horror film that could last year you know they were i mean that's just it was word of mouth um you and i saw it in a theater um i loved it it was in my top five horror films of last year i loved the performances lauren lavera stole the show i can't wait to see what else she does with her career i feel like she's this is going to be like the breakout moment for her career to really build and kind of become um you know a huge actor for the next 20 years um and obviously we're going to get a terrifier three at some point you know and that's going to be great it started kind of a new franchise but again, it was just awesome to see them get a flower, get their flowers. Like it was well deserved, and not that, that definitely was a surprise. But like, just it was just cool to see that like it was appreciated because we do. If, if there's one thing I do get guilty of, Patrick, and we probably both do it to a certain extent, is we do get trapped a little bit inside the horror bubble. You know, we we you know we oh, hear yeah. we hear the loudest voices in horror talk about like, oh my god, Terrifier two, everyone, blah blah blah. But you wonder how much the larger horror community is buzzing about that film, and it felt like they were. But you're still curious how it's going to play out when it's a fan voted award. And they did. They came through and Terrifier 2 killed it. It really did. It it, it lived up to the hype. I feel like it's sort of, um, I don't know, you know, it's, it's a great throw bra- throwback to, uh, to, to the hardcore gory slashers of the 80s. And there's a lot of charm to that film. And I think I think we're going to be seeing a lot more from Terrifier as a franchise in, in the coming years. And, and I'm all for it. Uh, and I want to give one honorable mention to smallest surprise, to least surprising, if you will. And that was for Chloe Acuno and uh, winning best first feature for Watcher because God damn, was that a good movie? I think it was my number four for the year. I think uh, number four in 2023, really, 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 really good movie. Um, directed by Chloe Kuno, who directed uh, the Rat Man, Rat King or Rat Man segment in uh, VHS 99. Um, she came out with this just incredible thriller uh, in Watcher that if you have not seen, just drop what you're doing and watch that movie. It's really, really good. So I'm I'm not surprised at all. It was my vote for best first feature because it's incredible and it should it's it's absolutely should have won and it did the other one i want to give a shout out to also best international film was speak no evil a film you and i oh, absolutely yeah. adored it was on both of our top five lists last year i'll tell you what if you want to give my other one like kind of weird one is i i like i and this isn't a knock i don't know how they do it like i don't know if like the international films just get kind of roped into international and they don't qualify for the other categories but like speak no evil to me should have been nominated across the board. Like best performance, best screenplay, best air. Like it was everything. just a, it was an incredible, like, even if it doesn't win everything, it should have been nominated for everything because that film had it all. That is one of the just most creative yet most disturbing horror films of the last 20 years. Um, it sticks like yeah. when, when I'm at work and I'm having, I'm having a discussion with my coworkers on Slack and we're talking about like horror films and they know I'm like the horror film guy. They're like, what's a horror film that really disturbs you without fail. Every time I'm like, speak no evil, <laughs> go watch speak no evil. You're going, you're going to, you're not going to be the same when you get through that ending. 
<laughs> I, no, absolutely. I had a buddy text me recently because I've, I've been talking up Speak No Evil. It made number two on my overall list, not my horror list, my overall list for the year. It made my number two film of the year. Talk about biggest upset. Where the hell was it at the Oscars? I mean, yeah. uh, they would never touch a film like that, but it was that good of a movie. It was that high a level movie that it deserved Oscar nominations. I was pissed that it wasn't like, it's, it's such an incredibly good movie. And I had a buddy uh, see it based on my ravings about it. And he goes, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like he was like so upset afterwards. And I was like, I warned everybody. It's that you probably shouldn't watch this movie. It's an incredibly, incredibly well done movie. That's not even a thriller. It's just this weird exercise in uncomfortableness. And then at the very at the very final act, it turns into one of the most horrific things you'll ever see. Speak No Evil is that very good. It's it's one of the absolute best. And you're right. It's kind of a shame that it had to get just stuck in. It could only be allowed in Best International for some reason. That makes no sense. Um, it, sh it should have been nominated pretty much across every category that was available because Speak No Evil is one of the best movies I've seen in probably the last 20 years. And it, and it did win Best International, so it did it did win in that particular category. It could have won more. They're also remaking it, which really, really, really bums me out. And don't get me wrong, I love James McAvoy. He's going to be starring in it. I don't know if he's going to be, which role he's going to be in. If you've seen Speak No Evil, you know, um, there's two main male roles in that film, so I don't know which one James McAvoy is going to be playing but as soon as i heard the news i was just like really like that i had the same reaction when i heard they were remaking train to busan which is an incredible incredible zombie film one. out of south korea i loved that film one of the best zombie films i've seen in the last 20 years as well and they're like we're gonna remake it and it's gonna be trained in new york or whatever the hell it's gonna be called and i'm like really like why like i don't i understand remaking films as part of it i get it i understand that but man like we're in, an, we're in a day and age where, like, you, you can read subtitles, people. It's not that hard. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? And and when I heard about it, and Speak No Evil was another one where I was like, really? Like, it came out less than a year ago. You're going you're gonna to remake it? It wasn't like it was a hard-to-access movie. It wasn't like I had yeah. to dig through, like, you know, the, the, the dark web to find it. Like, it was out there. It was on <laughs> Shudder. And it was, a, it was a film from Norway. It wasn't like, you know, it was, I don't know. It just... I don't know, man. And I just, I have a hard <laughs> knowing how utterly disturbing that film is. I just have a hard time believing the remake is going to go as hard as that one did. Yeah. I, I, I highly doubt it. It's not like when they remade old boy, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's like, Hmm. Like, I don't think you need to do this. I think the world loves this movie and it's weird. They did very quickly announce it. And I think it was because they realized they're like, Holy shit. That movie's amazing and not a lot of people saw it. What if we remade it in English? That's yeah. like, hey, you're missing the point. It's not, you know, we all know it's great. The, the the few of us who did see it know that it's very, very good. You're just going to make an, a version that's in English. We don't need that. We have the version that's, and everyone likes the subtitles now. We're over, we're over subtitles. Uh, I mean, Parasite won pretty much every major award at the Oscars and it's completely in South Korean. So, uh, you know, I, we need to get over trying to uh, American, Americanize uh, a movie movies that, that that aren't in English. It's fine. This movie fucking kicked ass. I'll probably go see the remake because I want to see what they do. And I like James McAvoy, but no, uh, Speak No Evil 
the shit. And and another upset, it should have been nominated in way more categories than it was. And we will review the Speak New Evil remake. So let's just go ahead mm-hmm. and get that out of here. We will review it on the show. We actually didn't review Speak New Evil on the show because it's such a hard film to talk about without getting into the ending right away because that's really where the horror begins. Um, but yeah, that was that was an incredible film. All right, so Fangoria Awards took place. We also do have an actual film review this week. It's a little shorter, of course, because we did want to get into the Fangoria Awards because that is kind of our Oscars of horror. But we did review a new film that just dropped on Shutter. It actually came out in theaters a couple of months ago called Consecration. I actually saw the trailer for it. Uh, for some other movie. I can't remember what movie I was in, but I saw the trailer for this. Jenna Malone and uh, Danny Houston, uh, two very, very well-known actors who are in this movie. Danny Houston, the brother of Angelica Houston, something I just learned recently. I don't know how I didn't know that. Yeah, that's her her brother. Huh. I never would have known that. I I did not know that either. So there you go. The more you learn on this show, Angelica Houston is Danny Houston's uh, sister. Um, Patrick, this is this is <laughs> Damon. I'm, I have to like soak that in for a second. Yeah, that the, means he's he's John Houston's son. Son. Yeah. The yeah. fuck. Yep, that is his dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the reason I the reason I found out about it was because he did a uh, you know the, the review site Letterboxd. They did an interview and they always interview actors. And they tell them to give their four favorite films, and so he basically said three of the films were his dad's films. And he's like, this one by my dad. And I was like, you're what your dad's John Houston. And then he said, my sister Angelica was in this with, I was like, what the, huh? so yeah, yeah, they're all really, that's his, that's his dad. And Angelica Houston's his sister. My mind is absolutely blown right now. Yeah. So this is another film, you know, we did the omen recently on the show, and this is another film that kind of dives into the religious aspect. It's a different film than the omen, of course, but, uh, religious aspect of, of film. And this is, you know, tale as old as time, Patrick with, with religion and horror kind of going hand in hand. Uh, the director of this film, uh, Christopher Smith, is that right? Smith. Smith. Yeah. Um, Smith. you know, basically said, you know, he, he kind of jokingly said in an interview, like, you know, where did the, where did this idea come from? And he said, uh, the exorcist basically fucked me up as a kid. And I was like, okay, well that, that'd probably do it. There um, it is. So we're going to get into categories pretty quick here, Patrick. So if you haven't seen it, it's on Shudder right now. Hey, Shudder. Hi, Shudder. And you can watch it over there. So we're going to get into categories real quick here in a second. But I do want to mention one thing I will say about this film. And, and you know, I'm starting with coming off to the, the awards and right away going into a negative comment by Damon. Um, <laughs> I lo- I've said this before, Patrick. And again, I'm not saying this to offend anyone that listens to our show. Please don't take it that way. I don't mean it that way. I'm not a religious person at all, but I have a weird affinity for these religious horror films. I've said that many times. I love the omen. I love the exorcist. The last exorcism is one of my favorite films period. Like it's found footage, but it's just a really, really brilliant film. Demon possession, all these, I dig these films. Like I don't have a good, like I said, I'm not a religious person, so it shouldn't probably scare me as much as they do, but I love them. I love these kind of films. My problem with Consecration right off the bat, though, is that while they did try to make it different and a little slightly, when I say more creative, like going veering in a different direction for a really, this isn't straight up like possession, demon possession, those kind of things. It still felt weirdly unoriginal to me, if that makes sense. Like, it's not that it was a bad film. Let me be clear about that. It's not terrible. But I was just like, I feel like this is just, this just didn't feel wholly original to me. Does that make any sense what I'm saying? You know, I think what it, I think what it was for me 
and I don't know if this will touch on what you're how you how you feel about it. But I think what it was for me is that uh, uh, consecration has a real hook to it that maybe we'll get into in the categories that they actually don't lean into enough. It's really alluded to more than it is like showcased. And I think if they would have like leaned into what they were trying to do in consecration, as opposed to what they did do, which in my opinion, and which is probably what you're talking about is they did sort of try to make it a whodunit detective movie on top of a weird religious, like mysticism movie. And that's to me what I was like, well, this movie doesn't need the detective side of it. Like yeah. it kind of could, because it's by the way, it stars Jenna Malone, as you mentioned is grace who is, uh, who's looking for the, or trying to uncover why her brother died at this convent, um, in Scotland. And her brother was a priest uh, who had visited there. And, uh, the, the mother superior is pretty convinced that her brother was possessed by demons. That's, that's her, that's the big rub. And that's kind of how it all kind of, uh, unfolds. And, and so Jenna Malone basically tries to figure out who killed her brother. And in the, in the meantime, between time discovers a lot of stuff about herself that she didn't, or maybe didn't want to know. Um, so I think that, that was what kind of killed it was that the, the detective work aspect of this movie didn't need to be there as much as it was. And I think it, I think it just, it's, it's weird. It's like, um, it's like doing like a Ninja Turtles movie and then just focusing on Casey Jones and April <laughs> O'Neil. Yeah. Like you're just going, yeah, but there's turtles over here. <laughs> like turtles that do karate and ninja, ninjutsu, and there's a talking rat and a, a guy covered in shredder stuff. Like, don't you want to look at that? No, no, no. Let's just do Casey Jones and April O'Neil, the regular humans. Let's yeah. focus on that. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's just keep most of the focus there. And maybe we might see the Ninja Turtles a little bit near the end. You're like, ah, oh, I think you're missing the point of what you're, what you got here. Um, I feel like that's kind of why consecration fell a little flat to me. Yeah. They, they, they leaned a, they leaned a little bit too much in the mystery and there was also a lot of flashbacks. And then by the end, they kind of do the, uh, it's a it's a it's a trope of horror films or just films in general where you they, you redo scenes except you see what actually happened you know like right. you, you see things and you don't know what's going on then they redo it at the end and you realize what's actually happening that kind of thing um it's a it's a little bit of hokey filmmaking if i'm being honest patrick like not to say it can't be done well i've seen films where it has been done well um you know like the big reveal in the sixth sense when you realize like oh yeah like we've never actually seen sorry spoilers 30 years after the fact uh you know no, we, never, Damon, don't do it. we never saw bruce willis interact with anyone but the kid like we're like oh my god he was a ghost he was dead the entire time holy shit um and you kind of realize that but this one was kind of like they tried to do that where they're like this was happening this entire time you just didn't know it and i'm just like eh, it felt a little hokey and and again the film wasn't bad it, it was one of those films when it finished i was kind of like all right that was a movie you know, like I didn't hate yeah. it. I didn't love it. I was just like, yeah, it was okay. It was decent. You know, it was a, it was a one-time watch and I don't necessarily regret watching it, but I feel like there could have been a lot better about it. So with that being said, Patrick, let's get into categories. Of course, we are going full spoilers here. Uh, it is now available on Shutter. It was in theaters for a couple months. So, you know, this has been out for a little while and we're kind of doing a little shorter episode with this one because we did the uh, Fangoria Award. So, Patrick, with that being said, let's get into Consecration and we're going to kick things off as we do each and every week here on the show and talk about best performance. So, Patrick, for Consecration, what was your best performance? My best performance goes to son of John Houston brother of angelica houston which i just learned that just now with all you folks 
Danny Houston as Father Romero. Um, in this film, uh, Grace, played by uh, Jenna Malone, comes to this convent where her brother has passed and 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 believed to she believes he's been murdered. And John uh, John Houston, <laughs> Father Romero, uh, played by uh, Danny Houston, Father Romero comes from the Vatican to do his own investigating, or so you think. Now this is the part of the movie that I do I do appreciate the they do reveal to you pretty early on you know he introduces himself as to her as i'm i'm a guy from the vatican i'm here to to also help you with this case and whatever you need i'm going to help you out well on the flip side he goes to the mother superior of this rather extreme sect of uh, of nuns in this convent and they're already in cahoots and they already have an idea of what is going on and they believe what is going on is that Jenna Malone is the key to some really weird kind of prophecy, actually kind of an omen. We just talked about the omen. And weirdly enough, like they believe she's wrapped up in some sort of a foretelling that is coming along, that she's connected somehow to uh, a, a certain evil somewhere else. So he's actually playing both sides. Uh, but he's really he's only just playing uh, Grace because the, the convent is working with him to figure out if Grace is indeed something evil. So what I liked about his performance performance first of all he's good in everything if you've if you've seen Danny Houston in anything he's just got that gravitas and that that presence on screen um and in this movie he does a really good job of convincing Grace like hey I'm on your side and to the point where like even though I knew very early on that he was not on her side when when he was with her I sort of believed it because he was sort of lulling me into a sense of security that's performance and I think that's what Danny Houston did this time around which was really he was the strongest part of this movie I I was able I really believed what his character was up to and I really believed even when I knew what his the trick that the character was doing I still believed in its magic, so I had to give it to him. Yeah, he did a really, really good job. I like Danny Houston in general. He's a really good actor. He did uh, Succession a couple seasons ago. He did American Horror Story. Uh, he did 30 Days a Night, of course. That was the first time I'd ever seen him personally, and I can remember yeah. seeing Danny Houston. Really, really, really good, strong performance. For me, you know, Jenna Malone is great. Um, she adapted a British accent for this movie, which was unusual. Usually you see it the other way around. British actors adapting the American accent. Uh, she mm-hmm. actually went the other way around. She's an American American who adapted the British accent, which I thought was impressive. Uh, but I actually went best performance in this film. I went to uh, Janet Suzman as Mother Superior. Um, mm-hmm. Very creepy, very creepy role, very domineering role, as you imagine she would be with a name like Mother Superior as a nun. Um, just a very, just again, the, the powerful role of that. Um, I know this is a weird comparison, Patrick, but like when you think back at like the other M- Mother Superior we've talked about on the show, which is the one from Silent Night, Deadly Night, like there's a certain, yes, there's a certain gravitas to that, like a certain, like mm-hmm. a certain power in that role. And, and doing, doing it the wrong way, um, you're not going to believe that they have this power over their congregation or over the nuns, however you want to say it. This one does. Janet Susman, much like Mother Superior in Silent Night, Deadly Night, which again is a weird correlation, but this one, same thing Janet Susman did. Like she just, right away, you see she has the power. She has the control. Um, these nuns like all answered her and, and cower before her, and she has that power to her. And I thought that was a really, really strong performance. Um, I was not super familiar with Janet Susman, although I know she's done a ton of uh, films and TV shows. She was on The Crown, I believe. Um, so I was not familiar with her body of work, but boy, she really impressed me. And it, you could see, because there is a hierarchy of power in the church, you know? Um, there's a great scene 
in this film, one of my actually probably one of my favorite scenes in this film where Mother Superior is like kind of talking to the nuns. She's kind of laying down the law. And then Danny Houston's character comes in and he lays it down to her. And then she kind of like questions it for a split second. And he basically is like, remember the hierarchy here, Mother Superior. It's God, then me. And that's the way it goes. I was like, damn. And they just, they had that really interesting power structure where she was so domineering over all the nuns. And they, I mean, they were, you know, full on head down, bowing, like, you know, completely, you know, completely, uh, you know, completely in, in, in reverence to her. And then she had to give reverence to the priest, which was really a really interesting dynamic in this film. Probably my favorite part of the film, honestly. No, absolutely. I almost feel like um, like playing a mother superior is sort of like a guy getting cast as Batman. It's like, <laughs> ooh, I'm going to real dig my teeth into this fucking <laughs> role. It's going to be good. Because uh, every time there's a mother superior in a movie, they have that presence. And I think, you know, they Christopher Smith wisely cast uh, very well for this because it needed to be a powerful role. And really, truth be told, um, you know, uh, uh, Father Romero at some point meets his end and Mother Superior keeps on trucking and she's coming after Grace and she's going to take Grace out. She's convinced that Grace is evil and she's going to do what she can. So she needed to have enough of that power in that moment. Um, I actually watched a Paul Verhoeven movie, a new one that he had called Benedetta that came out. I think it came out last year. And uh, uh, Charlotte Rampling, who's a, who's a really, really well-known actor um, from Europe, she played like the mother superior in that same deal, man. Just so you don't want to fuck with these people. <laughs> like there's just and, and you know, credit to the, to the actress that from this movie, I was not familiar with her, but I was like, damn, dude, this is this is exactly what you need. This is this Janet Suzman gave that vibe like i'm not gonna fuck with you like uh, i just that's what a good performance does absolutely absolutely let's talk about my favorite character because there is a spattering of characters in this film really you get dominated by three or four but there's a spattering of characters throughout this uh this film so for you consecration patrick who is your favorite character uh, my favorite character was titled Meg. Um, I I crowned her Sister Peekaboo. Uh, she was just, she kept playing Peekaboo for some reason with Grace. I wasn't quite sure why, uh, but she was a very quirky, weird nun. Um, and it, it was one of those things. It's like, man, you know, you could have dialed back on some other things in this movie and maybe focused a little more on the characters in the convent meg being one of them like i kind of wanted to know why she was the way she was she was a little odd and different and, but she pulled you in whenever she, and she was she was she was there for a couple of key moments but you were like oh man this is so interesting why aren't we knowing more about why she's so interesting they never really get to it yeah uh, but I, but uh, here's my like kind of like shout out to uh elite fisher i believe is her name uh, for playing that character because it was a very compelling and interesting character yeah she was good yeah she kept popping up and literally she was just like peekaboo you're like what the fuck uh <laughs> holy <laughs> shit why, why did you just do that <laughs> yeah it was very very jarring she she did pop up very good yeah that was a really really good role and i did enjoy her as well for me like i i enjoyed that character i thought she was good and she was definitely like the she was the one again she was definitely the the jump scare of this movie several times her jumping out and going peekaboo and you're like what the fuck like she's the <laughs> she is totally listen i'm not saying anyone by the way i'm not advocating for this patrick no one should ever punch a nun but i'm saying if you're <laughs> but if, if there's gonna be a nun who gets punched it's the one who sneaks up behind you and goes peekaboo and just swing because that's <laughs> 
they could scare the shit out of you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> do the, not do that to me. How did you get there? Um, so I went a little bit reverse of your 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 best performance from your character, and I went with uh with, with Father Romero from Dan, Danny Houston. I, I thought Father Romero there he so we talked about the mystery element of this movie. And we both kind of agreed it was a little overdone and, and kind of this film could have been done in a different way. We take the mystery element and it would have actually been stronger, weirdly, I think. And I agree with you where they lean harder into grace being this relic. And we're not they, they, they don't they don't full on tell you that she's, you know, the devil more or less. They say, you know, she's a morning star, which we all know the story. If you know the Bible, you know, the story of Lucifer, the morning star, that kind of thing. Um they lean really. They don't. They don't full on say she's the devil or that she's a descendant of the devil or she's an angel, fallen angel, more or less, is what they call her. Um, they didn't lean hard enough into that. There was so much mystery, and then by the end, you figure out that she's this fallen angel. But I really enjoyed Father Romero, as you said, kind of playing both sides of the coin. Like he seemed very protective in a way of grace like he was like the one person from the church who was kind of like there for her and and you know kind of like helping her through the death of her brother and he has a great scene uh where he takes grace out into like the the green area in front of the monastery or the convent and he explains like you know how priests of that era used to uh, atone for their sins which was they would pray in front of a grave and they would take one step backwards for each sin they committed. And there was like this giant gaping hole behind them. And if they took enough steps, they'd fall to their deaths. Like if you yeah. committed that many sins and he took two sins, he's like, thankfully I've only you know, committed two sins, cake and coffee. And it was kind of a funny little scene, but there's a, he does carry a certain weight to him. What I talked about earlier with the mother superior character, like she's so powerful and domineering. But then when he has that great line where he says, remember sister, there's two things, you know, God and me. That's the that's the hierarchy here. And I was like, oh shit! Like he's he's full on telling her like how it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved that character. I thought he played it really really well. And you couldn't you he was the one character in this film like you knew something was up with Grace from the very beginning. Like there was no doubt something was going on with her. We just weren't really sure what it was. And we knew Mother Superior was wicked. We knew right away she had some shit. She was hiding hiding in her closet. Um, <laughs> Sister Peekaboo, stop sneaking up behind me. We knew she was creepy. But Father Romero played both sides, and he did a good enough yeah. job where you're kind of like, can I trust this guy? Can I not trust this guy? I'm not really sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you you, you heard my praises for John Houston's son. I'm still fucked up about that. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, let's talk about best death in this movie. There were quite a few deaths, actually. Um, so, Patrick, what was your best death in uh, in Consecration? Yeah, I, I did best death again this week. It's funny how it lines up with the Omen. I did best death for the Omen because, in the, much like in the Omen in this movie, for the most part, all the deaths are supposed to seem mysterious. They're not supposed to be a murder or a monster getting you. It's just supposed to be like, wow, that person died. That sucks. Um, that's kind of how it's supposed to play out. Uh, and for me, there was a great scene, and you see a little bit of it in the trailer for it, uh, where I think I believe it's Grace is looking out at the monastery from a distance or sorry, at the convent from a distance. And and she sees a bunch of nuns falling off that very same gaping hole in the side of the cliff that you were talking about. One falls off. and She's like, oh, shit. And then another one falls off and she's like, oh, shit. And then another one and another one. And they keep piling up on the rocks. And I was like, that is fucking eerie. It's yeah. kind of, that's weird. 
Yeah, like lemmings falling to their death, and it just go one after the other. Yeah, it was very creepy. That was a good scene. I enjoyed that one a lot, too. Um, my best death, which was, it happened actually a couple of times, because it happened in a vision and it happened in real life, was the death of Sister Peekaboo, where she slit mm. her own wrists, and that ended up being the mystery at the end where you realize that she didn't actually slice her own wrist. It was actually the fallen angel demon whatever's living inside grace and that's where they did time traveler yeah they redid the whole day that's where i talked about the end they redid all the scenes where you see that was actually grace's demon or angel or whatever the fuck's living inside her (laughs) is doing all these things she snaps someone's wrist and she kills someone else and you know she's basically looking out for grace and and protecting grace and whatever um that's the part i didn't really like where they just like redid all the scenes you're calling okay i kind of got it you didn't necessarily need to bang me over the head with it for me to figure it out um um, but Sister Peekaboo's throw, because when she does it, th- she does it in a dream first, then she does it for real in the movie, and it's just very creepy. And there's like blood spraying everywhere, um, and yeah. it's just a really creepy scene. Because <laughs> that again, I could have easily gone best performance for that actress because like man, she does have like that look on her face where she's just like got this really creepy wide eyed <laughs> smile, and her and her wrists are slit. You're like, what the hell? Um, and then she'll probably go Peekaboo and get punched. But yeah, so <laughs> that's crazy. What the hell? <laughs> um, let's talk about best scare because there were a lot of jump scares. Peekaboo. Uh, so, Patrick, what was your best scare in uh, in Consecration? Yeah, your your best best death uh, segues into my best scare because it was the initial. Because I, I will say this in the beginning when when grace is having these visions she'll see someone in the background or or she'll have a weird dream or some some violent weird death dream you go what the fuck is that and then eventually gets explained away as oh it was actually grace or some thing that inhabits grace that protects her they never quite explain that part but that's okay um but there was early on uh, the scene where she believes she's seeing uh, Sister Peekaboo slit her wrists and she turns around and she's like, oh my God, you're covered, you're covered in blood and you slit your wrists. What are you doing? And then a, a, a second later, she's not there. And then all of a sudden, Peekaboo, <laughs> just, just fucking Grace just jumps a mile in the air as one should. And 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 Sister Meg is behind her. She, she had not cut her wrist yet. Grace was seeing into the future to what was going to be happening. She was having a premonition of what was about to happen. But uh, but yeah, Sister Peekaboo did that fucking thing where she scared the shit out of you by fucking stinking up behind you. One hundred percent elbow or fist coming swinging. I'm just saying, like she is. <laughs> that was a, oh, you just cracked my nose. Yeah, that was a really good one though. I enjoyed that one as well because you're like she's bleeding, she's got her threat, and then all of a sudden she's like Peekaboo. You're like, what the fuck? You know, so it's really really well done. Um, <laughs> oh shit! So my best scare actually came at the very end of the movie, and the film opens with a very weird scene where you see Mother Superior coming after Grace, and she literally points a gun at her in the middle of the street and then we get into the actual film so you're you have no idea no context of where that scene comes from the very end of the film after grace has kind of committed a reign of terror over this this convent and you realize that she is one and all with the, with this angel demon whatever you want to say fallen angel whatever she's a very powerful you know angel creature whatever um, and that's where we see the revisiting of Mother Superior coming up with her with a gun in the middle of the street. So Grace is walking on the street. Here comes Mother Superior. And, you know, she's not going to throw holy water. She's going to throw a holy six bullets at you. And uh, <laughs> and she points the gun. And then out of nowhere, a car just splats her on the street. And it's just <laughs> really, like, really well done jarring because in that moment, we had already seen up to that point that like grace has these powers, right? Like she turned a blind woman and gave her sight back. Like there is power in this, in this creature. 
And so we see her like attacking and like she snaps the wrist of a woman who is trying to come after Grace uh, in the film. So we're like, she's like this avenging angel. And so we know she has power. And so I was like, uh oh, she's going to like, you know, the gun's going to snap off her wrist or, you know, she's going to watch her head getting lopped. It's going to go, you know, she went, she went slit wrist for Sister Peekaboo, you know, Mother Superior is going to see her head go snapped off or something like really graphic. And then out of nowhere, this car just plows through her. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Uh, so that <laughs> one got me. That was, I knew something was coming, but I didn't know what. And I didn't see that coming. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that one coming either. And boy, does Mother <laughs> Superior take a fucking hit. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> also, oh, my God. if you've ever driven around major towns um, or cities in this in this country and you're driving around like the streets, not not highway and not like major streets. This is like a residential neighborhood where they were at. Right. Like This is a really residential neighborhood. Um they, that car had to be going like 50 miles an hour. I was like, where in the hell are you at? You're driving down the street that fast. Like, Grace should have been driving, walking on the highway for the car as fast as that car was going. Yeah, if we're swapping insurance, Grace is be like, that wasn't my fault. That motherfucker was speeding. Yeah. He had no business going that fast in this neighborhood. That I'm not taking the hit on that one. Yeah, no pun intended. Normally, Mrs., you know, Mother Superior would have taken the hit and gotten right back up again. She got plowed over <laughs> on that street. You know, there was no getting up for her on that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about uh, one of my, our last two categories before we get to this is scary. My two favorite categories, which has become remake, sequel, or leave it alone. So this, Patrick, is a category where we take a film that we're reviewing and we say, should they remake it, should they sequelize it, or should they just leave it alone? So, Patrick, for Consecration, remake, sequel, leave it alone. Uh, I'm going to be real straightforward. This is a full remake. And I think it, I think it's al- it almost like... It almost begs a, a, a resurrection of the rewrite of the living dead category. Um, I, I think this movie needs to be rewritten. I think that they need to a take their, by the way, we haven't even mentioned the, uh, the, the police, yeah. they need to take, there's like a detective that's also part of this. Clearly somebody somewhere in the, in the writing process said you need a detective in there because you know, it's, it's a murder case and the, the detective has nothing to do with the story. They just, it, it literally just pulls away from the story for no apparent reason. We could do everything that we needed to do without ever involving the detective. Um, that's one. So remake it by get rid, of, get rid of the detective, lean harder into what exactly Grace is. And here's another thing. Take that time travel element out of it. It just created a big mess. There, there was a lot, there was a, so much to this. I actually, it was funny, like, the, at the very beginning of the movie, she helps a, a woman who she believes uh, has very deep, bad cataracts, and she sends she sends that woman to a cataract specialist to get her eyes checked out. Well, at the end of the movie, she follows up with her friend again about the woman, and, and he goes, actually, her eyes are totally fine. She probably just came here to humor you because her eyes are great. Um, I don't know what you were talking about. She doesn't need the help. Well, the implication was, oh, she can heal people, too. Well, that never got explored anywhere in the middle yeah. at all. Like no, nowhere in the middle at all. I mean, they, they kind of alluded to it at one point, um, but there was just way too many elements in this movie. And I think they needed to maybe remake this where it's just like she goes into the convent, maybe even like undercover as a new as a new nun to like figure out what's going on and why her brother died there and do it that way and take all the other elements, all the outside elements out, like contain this thing at this convent, remake it that way. Yeah, so I'm going to go two things. I'm also going to go remake as well, and I'll just add two points to what you said because what you said is already pretty brilliant. Um, I don't really have any disagreements there. My two suggestions, one would be um, if you're going to do flashbacks, 
why not incorporate the whole element that you're working with priests and have her just do a confession and have her, you know, confess in something in that. And then you just have her tell it versus, I mean, you can do flashbacks of her seeing it, but they keep flashing back throughout the film. And it's kind of, just, it's kind of jarring. So you're not really sure where you're at, yeah. why this is happening. There's a weird scene where like her and her brother escape from their abusive father. And then these priests pick them up and then they drop the kid, the brother off and they run off with the sister. Yeah. And it's just really weird. Doesn't really fit in the plot. So I would say if you're going to do the flashbacks, make it, one scene like you know do a do a confessional or you know something like that or she has a therapy session or something and do it from there don't do the flashbacks throughout the film it was really jarring didn't make sense and the other one my other point is something you already kind of brought up but just to again make it clear what we're dealing with like they kind of said morning star and angel so you kind of have the impression that she's possessed by lucifer but you don't really know, and so you think she's de demonic possession. Is it an angel? She has the power to heal people, but she's also, like, omnipotent to kill people. It's a really weird... Like, they never really truly make it clear what she is. And I'm not saying you have to beat us over the head with it, but, like, what is she? Like, what powers does yeah. she possess? Like, it's just... It was just really weird because they never truly explain that. We just learned that she's a relic. And they never really go, they, they mention a lot of stuff, but they never like hammer it down as to what she actually is or what she's supposed to be or what is her purpose? Like, is she the Antichrist? Is she the second coming of the devil? Like, what is she? They were all terrified of her, but they never gave us a reason why besides she was all these powerful things. Great. We understand she's powerful and she can do terrible, terrible things, but why are we afraid? Like, what is her purpose? We never learned that in this film. Yeah, you're right. And I think that the flashbacks really hung this movie up because it like basically the movie had to end in explaining all of the flashbacks. It just it's you spend the whole movie showing flashbacks and then having to explain where they came from at the end of the movie. Whereas you had something interesting here, like how does whatever's going on with Grace affect her in the here and the now as opposed to this passiveness of well having to go back and you know un unravel everything untangle everything it's like make it active make it an active situation where she's in this in this convent and undercover investigating her brother's uh death and then the the thing that's inside her starts to emerge because she's so it's so close to you know these these people who clearly know what it is and and are trying to destroy it so it emerges and creates a situation right now we don't have to keep bouncing back and forth to different parts of her life i think there was just way too much back and forth they could have streamlined it a lot more yeah and i just like i said make it clear what we're dealing with they never did and we're kind of like it was just it was just confusing how cool would it have been to get a, like a proper possession scene with her it would yeah. have been cool yeah, or like I said, if they, I appreciate they kind of leaned into the whole fallen angel thing, like she was a fallen angel, but to what extent, like to what goal, what purpose are we serving here? Like, is she the second coming of the devil? Is she the Antichrist? What is she? Like, what is like what we we're, we fear her? Okay, great. Why? Like, what is she? Like, what is she there to do? Why? Why do we fear her? They never. And there really, was an. There was also an implication that maybe they perceived her as evil yeah. and she was just this, this, this being trying to protect herself from people are trying to kill it. Yeah. So, so it's like that would, it would have been better to just explore her 
yeah. in this convent, contain it all and get rid of all that backstory and all that stuff. It wasn't helping it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So yeah, remake is the answer for both of us. Uh, Patrick, one of our favorite categories has become this one, which is, can we survive this horror film? This is where we take the horror film that we are reviewing week to week. We inject ourselves into the horror film and we say, could we survive this horror film? Now, I'm giving you a little context here, Patrick, for this one, okay? Because we are both not religious guys. So right away, you and I would say we'd survive because we just wouldn't believe the horse shit. Um, but we're going to inject ourselves as if we do. We are believing mm. this because, and here's what I like about this. One thing I did read with Christopher Smith when doing my research about this movie, he was a, what he calls like a reformed Catholic. He was a Catholic when he was a kid. He kind of got out of religion, but he still has leanings of religion, but not like he's not religious, if that makes sense. He believes there probably is something yeah. out there, but he doesn't. Very agnostic. Um, and he said that, but if you are religious, you have to believe in the supernatural because so much of what happens in the Bible is based upon faith in the supernatural. You have to, you have to believe in the supernatural to believe in, in the Bible and to believe in Christianity. So I know it's a, a much further stretch for you and I, because you and I are practicing atheists, but for the purposes of this category, can we survive this horror film? We got to put ourselves in. We believe in the supernatural or if the supernatural happens, we are going to believe it to be real. So Patrick, put yourself in consecration. Are you surviving this film? I say, yes, I still will because, and I'll say this why, uh, because I, I would say I would get, I would become part of this sect knowing that I have the skepticism for its dogma specifically, because it is an extreme sect of, they don't really state it, whether it's Catholicism or not, but it's not, it kind of feels like maybe Catholic or, or Presbyterian or something like that, which I grew up Catholic. So I kind of know my way around that stuff. So I know with my skepticism and still like being a sort of a Christopher Smith type character where I'd be like, well, I know there's something out there. I'd be smart enough to go, Hey, Grace, can we just talk? Can I just figure this out with you? Because I don't believe that we need to necessarily kill you. There's some, there's some nuance out there. There are multitudes to every angel and demon out there. So maybe I kind of want to get to know things as opposed to just trying to kill you. I know they are. They're definitely trying to kill you. I'm not. I just want to know better. So I think I'd end up in her good graces. There's my <laughs> next pun for the night. Um, I do think I would end up in her good graces and probably make it out okay. Yeah, I'm with you. This is one where I feel like I would survive because even in a situation where I totally believe in the supernatural and I totally believe in faith and religion, all these kind of things that are involved in this movie, I feel like I'm still enough of a pragmatist. I'm still enough of a, of a thinking man's person to where I would, I would better understand how to deal with a situation like this. I would, it seems like everyone in this film is very much for lack of a better, you know, uh, analogy, they're very much standing on the edge of that cliff and they're either going to fall off or they're going to just stay there. There's no two directions. There's no walking back off the cliff. You're right. either going to fall or you're going to just stand there forever. I'm the guy who will walk forward. I'll be like, hold on now you can survive, but you can also walk the fuck out. Like you don't have to just stand on the edge of this cliff waiting to fall <laughs> off. Like you can't actually walk forward a few steps and guess what? Then you're safe. That's kind of me. I'm kind of like that guy. So I feel like in that moment, like, yes, my natural instinct much like anything else i put myself in a supernatural situation not trying to make a joke about it but in all seriousness is i would just get the fuck out like if it yeah, like they'd be like we yeah. had another priest here father damon he just disappeared we don't know where he went uh he just left the, he has left the convent he hasn't been seen in days and then you find me like a london pub just pounding beers that would be me in all honesty like as soon as really weird like full-on craziness started happening i'm out like i'm just done like i'm not sticking around for this 
But if you're making me stick around for it, I feel like I'm smart enough and analytical enough to where I would be like, all right, hold on here. Let's calm down on this whole, we got to shove her in a grave and like seal it up and trap her down there for eternity. Cause that's probably not going to work out too well for us as father Romero found out the hard way. So I would just kind of, I would try to t- talk through things a little bit more. You know what I mean? I feel like I would try, like, try to oh, yeah. try to talk through things. So yeah, part a me, I got the fuck out. That's part A of me is I just left. There's just like, what happened to Father Damon? The other one is, is that I would stick around long enough to try to talk through it. Now, maybe that would backfire on me. Maybe they would just be like, no, no, no talking, throat slit, you're out. But I'm hoping based upon, you know, my own, my own uh, sensibilities that I would survive this. Fully agree. So you're not running? You're not running, Patrick? Father Patrick isn't running? I would run. I ain't gonna lie. I want to see what's going on. I want to see what it's... Again, I'm I'm certain that I will be... uh, I I will be a friend to to whatever's going on inside (laughs) of Grace at the end of the day. Because I've got... Listen, uh, you and me, we're we're, we're both into this weird shit. Let's just figure this out. We don't need to fight about it. We don't need to put anybody in a crypt for eternity. (sighs) We just need to figure shit out. We need to talk it out. That's the kind of guy I am. Well, Father Patrick, when you figure that out, give me a call at the pub in London. I'll be waiting for your call. Let me know it's okay to come home again. Uh, that's how I handle it. Uh, Patrick, our last category is always, is it scary? So consecration, at the end of the day, Patrick, is this film scary? It was not scary. It was puzzling. And that's the thing. Is I think it brought up more questions. It, it questions in in the wrong in the wrong sense it wasn't it wasn't mis- the the mis- the mystery in this movie did not have that dread element to it i just it never felt like grace was in danger it rarely felt like the nuns were in danger even though they all clearly were like something something about this movie was just off in that respect it did not have that sense of dread in it that i think is very necessary for a great horror film I think they were going more for creepy than scary in this film. And it just didn't really land for me. It wasn't creepy and it wasn't scary. Um, I will say though, I did see another uh, possession style film uh, a few months ago called pray for the devil. It's out there right now. And I, we didn't review it on the show because I think I told you like off air. I was like, yeah, this just isn't worth it. It was so color by numbers, generic possession that like when it was over, I was just like, my God, like, did you just go watch every possession film ever and just say, we're going to do this too. Um, so it wasn't full on color by numbers. I will give credit to consecration for that. It wasn't full on color, color by numbers, even though, as I said, at the start of the show, it did feel very familiar. Like it felt like they just didn't take a lot of risks with this movie. It did still feel like they, they colored inside the lines. They just didn't go full on like color by numbers as I kind of critiqued, uh, pray for the devil. Um, but yeah, it wasn't really scary. They were going for creepy and kind of, diabolical sinister i guess a little bit and it just didn't really land for me it just didn't really feel that to me like i said there was nothing that really got me in that way and you know it's a 90 minute film it's a quick watch but like an hour into it i was kind of like yeah I, i've kind of lost interest a little bit because they took so long to get to where we were going by the time you got there you're kind of like okay i figured it out sort of and i guess i see what you were going to but we could have done this an hour ago um and like you said the police investigation and there was just a lot of stuff a lot of a lot of filler that didn't need to be there absolutely uh yeah Uh, hey we can't win them all that's okay consecration uh you know folks go out there and check it out for yourself like we said earlier it is on shutter hey shutter Uh, Shutter. feel free to 
Yeah, Shudder providing all of our entertainment tonight, That's by the true. way. Shudder live-streamed the Fangoria Awards as well. Um, so, yeah, we we thank you, Shudder, for being in our lives and that for giving us the chance to see movies like Consecration. Check it out for yourself and let us know what you think. Absolutely. All right. We want to say a big thank you, as always, to everyone that tunes into the show each and every week. Make sure you check us out on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on our new YouTube channel. Just search Rewind of the Living Dead, and you'll find us over there. Please subscribe. Uh, you don't necessarily have to look at our faces, although you can. Uh, maybe then you will Maybe then you will call for an exorcism. Um, but, yes, please go over and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Because if you have a gargoyle kink, go ahead and check out our faces on YouTube. <laughs> exactly. You might really dig it uh you got questions comments movies you'd like us to review hit us up anytime on email rot living dead at uh, gmail.com that's rot living dead at gmail.com or uh, any of our social media channels just search rewind of the living dead on twitter facebook and instagram uh, we have gotten a lot of messages recently on instagram so please 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 continue to send us those messages uh we'd love to review those review films that you send to us so please do that and uh and that if you got questions or comments about the show do it as well and you can also hit us up on our own personal uh social media channels i am at damon martin and you are at director patrick i want to say a big thank you as always to everyone that tunes into rewind of the living dead we'll see you next week thanks for tuning in see you then peace